Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. The Square Ball Podcast. Hello, welcome to the show. Brought to you in association with West Yorkshire Electrical, this one. Michael? Correct. Yeah, you were fiddling with your phone there, weren't you? Just as I no, started I wasn't. talking. Yeah, you were. I, I wasn't at all. So you're obviously ready to uh, plug West Yorkshire Electrical, aren't you? <laughs> plug it. Yeah, which is exactly what you can do if you've got an electric car charger that they've put in. Just plug it in. Because they're specialists in... Electrical things. Renewables. Things. Oh, yeah. Fully accredited uh, specialists in renewables, such as solar panel installation, uh, battery storage, EV charging, but also usual stuff, fire alarm systems, school contracting, security alarms, CCTV, you know the stuff that electricians do, all of that, all of that stuff. Uh, finance available for work on your home or your business, wyelectrical.co.uk for details. Uh, West Yorkshire Electrical on your socials. The view from the press box, this one, Phil, hey? Yes. Hello. Last one. Last one of the year. We've we've opted to take a break over Christmas because obviously we worked too damn hard. Cross- yeah, we we were toying with doing one next week, weren't we? But then yeah. we decided there's so many games. Yeah. Will there be anything fresh to talk about apart from the games themselves? Well, we actually we don't don't really know what to say about this one, and it's like it's the biggest game of the season. There's no two ways about it. Is that we're here to to preview Ipswich, but we need to win, and yes, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be a good game. Which way is it going to go? We don't really know. Shall we just I, move I, on and talk I, about Christmas yeah, food? Yeah, I, I sort of said to you beforehand, I don't have a bit of laugh with this show because otherwise we'll sit here for 40 minutes saying there's a 10-point gap, which isn't great, and it needs to come down, and ideally they need to win at the weekend and round and round in, in circles. It could, it should be, though, one of those days which is always great, Ellen Road, you know, everybody properly into it. It's a bit of a shame it's not on Christmas Eve. I was looking at the fixture list today and I was following a feature on the BBC website about the Leeds Man United game um, back in the 90s that was on Christmas Eve uh, which is the only time they've ever staged a game on Christmas Eve until this year when they've chosen Wolves v Chelsea what a cracker it's disrespectful for to, to Tony Eboa to pick such a poor game yeah it's, that, it should Especially. really have remained it should have remained the only game I would say but to put so to put that on you especially, say especially when you've got Liverpool Arsenal Sitting there, you know, perfectly poised for them. Um, that made it sound like you were, you were sort of desecrating his memory, we should say. He's very much alive and well. Yeah, 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 yeah. very much so, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. And still running a hotel in Ghana. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the Egola Hotel, is that the name? Uh, something the like world? that, yeah. yeah. How do you think uh, Jürgen Klopp would have taken it if Liverpool's game was moved to Christmas Eve? D- uh, delated, I'm sure. <laughs> he'd, yes. he'd, just, he'd have just yeah. got on with it. Yeah, just, no, just, it would have done, no, no gone, this is, You know, I, I wrote about conspiracies this week, conspiracy theories. And yeah, no, Klopp would absolutely have gone, it's just the way the cards fall, you know, yeah. it's, it's fine. It's interesting the parallels actually between this year and that because I went back and looked at, at that fixture because I was curious as to what day it was. And the reason why we ended up on Christmas Eve was because the round of fixtures happened in exactly the same way as the calendar is this year. It was Saturday the 23rd and then we played at lunchtime on Christmas Eve on the telly. And that was it. That was the last fixture before, obviously before Christmas Day. But they used to play on actual Christmas Day, didn't they? Like mm-hmm. you'd uh, back in the 50s or whatever, you'd have a game yeah. on Christmas Day and then Boxing Day and then 27th. I'd be very much up for Christmas Eve football, but it has to be a big game. Do you know what I mean? Like it leads Ipswich, I think would be fine for Christmas Eve, but others maybe not so much. Although, I mean, I, I guess we can talk about the other games across the holidays if we're not doing a, a show on, on Monday with it being Christmas Day and all that. Mm-hmm. Boxing Day, 
heading to Preston. That's 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 an early start. That. It feels, it feels too early. Well, the the big consideration is what time do you stop drinking on Christmas Day, for the purposes of drink drive laws. Yeah. Early, I would suggest it's going to be an early start. That and not not ideal, and, and equally appealing quarter past eight away at West Brom on a Friday night. Yeah, it feels so. There's going to be quite a big gap in that whole Christmas week, especially because we're not at home as well. So only you know fewer fans travel to the to the away games than to Ellen Road, just you know by definition. So um, it's going to feel like there's quite a big a big gap of of attending football anyway if you're not going to the away games but obviously obviously you go to them all because uh, that's your job <laughs> <laughs> even though you hate it <laughs> I, I, the one thing that I'd totally forgotten about the championship and it sounds stupid this because it's quite obvious but is just how many games there are it was weird actually as soon as you got promoted to the Premier League particularly because all my football writing prior to that had been either League One or the Championship with Leeds you felt as if you were kind of kicking your heels a little bit over Christmas because there weren't that many games and it wasn't that intense. But then you come down and it's the total polar opposite of like four, you know, four games in eight days, all of which really matter. Start with this on on Saturday. I have a, I kind of feel like by the time we get to the end of New Year's Day and into the run up to the FA Cup, we're all going to have a much better idea about where this is headed uh, the season as a whole, particularly because Leicester and Ipswich will have played each other too. You speak often, or you have done in the past anyway, about um, Leeds United's sense of creeping death. And that's probably one reason in itself that Leeds could do a beating Ipswich, quite apart from the table. It's just the sense that the season is going to start to get away from us if if we don't. Uh, I mean, I wonder what a draw would do to people's psyche. I think Ipswich should be pretty happy with a draw, don't you? I I said after their game against Norwich, I don't think they'll have been unhappy with a draw out of that. And, and likewise, game against Leicester, point wouldn't be a bad result for them this seems to me for them to be a kind of damage limitation stage if it works out consolidate really, it almost yeah, consolidate like if it, it yeah. works out brilliantly for them and they they you know they beat beat Leeds beat Leicester um, had they beaten Norwich then happy days but I think back to back that's a really difficult run about as difficult a run as they could possibly have um, considering the, the rivalry with Norwich so to come out of that relatively unscathed or you know not too compromised with a league position would be would be good Bottom line, Leeds have, Leeds have got to win. Yeah. They? But from a, from a Leeds perspective, there is the chance to potentially make some inroads on one or both of the top two here. Carpe diem, isn't it? it just, yes. You've got to just seize the day now. Very much so. And I think to... Because there is a fairly big gap opening up to seventh place as well. And I think to avoid a long stretch of games where everybody is kind of resigned to it being a top six finish, but not a top two finish, um, it could be a long old run through you know February without counting chickens too much through February, March, April, if you don't feel like you are clawing the, the top two in. So I think to keep it live would be great. Doesn't the Ipswich away game feel like about two years ago? It really does, yeah. Sinistera, obviously, bagging mm. what turned out to be the winner. Yeah, I think it's quite instructive, though, what, what went on down there for, for how Leeds can win at the weekend because Ipswich were not shy in coming forward and, and they generally aren't. And I can't imagine that they'll be much different at Ellen Road on, on Saturday. McKenna seems pretty confident in his setup and in the way Ipswich play and it would be a surprise to me if they were to suddenly become ultra defensive although perhaps you know in this particular fixture there would be grounds for for taking a, a tactical approach like that but because they were so aggressive in their attacking it allowed Leeds to to do what they do best which is to counter attack into space use the pace and absolutely clinical on the day Leeds I thought Leeds deserved it. it was a really good game I thought Leeds deserved to win it but I did come away thinking Ipswich will be top six this season because they look they look good it did set a bit of a pattern, actually, didn't it, that game? Concede early, concede another daft goal in injury time in the first half. These are things we seem to have been doing on the, on the regular still. Yeah, and I almost did the ultimate jinx with that by saying it 4-2 up. 
Farkas going to plant a flag in the centre circle at the end of this game, at which point Ipswich scored and then started piling forward in, in search of an equaliser. And I was thinking, why do you do, oh, it? Do, you do know, it? I know. Just to keep life interesting. Two questions then. Do you make any changes to the lineup for the game against Ipswich? I think Farker probably minded not to, I guess. Yeah, I think he goes with his big players, doesn't he? But then it leads into the question of what does he do against Preston and West Brom? And is there's, there's got to surely be some rotation, yeah. some squad use there. Because, you, you know, one of the things you, you mentioned out of the last couple of games, we were slightly surprised that there wasn't a little bit more use of the squad now. And, and possibly that pressure is going to be brought to bear a little bit more because of the, the tightness of the fixtures. It just felt a touch or looked a touch fatigued to me through Sunderland and, and also Coventry, which wasn't to say that Leeds didn't have a lot of both games and didn't have a lot of running in the legs, but it just wasn't as kind of sharp and, and vibrant as they can be at the best. I think because they've had a week to build up to Ipswich and because of what we know about Farker and what seems to be his preferred lineup and, and how loyal he is to that, I think he does go with his big players. Um, this, I think he goes with the players. You have to he, for the Ipswich trust, game, I think I think you do and I think he will. So again, if you're looking at changes, it's probably it's probably the odd one or two here or there, but I'm not really sure what his options are. You know, if it's not... Um, Gray at right back, for example, is it Shackleton or Ailing? I think he's more inclined to go with Gray. If it's not Spence at left back, what are the alternatives there? I don't think there'll be much um, much of a shift from from what we saw against Coventry. But you're right, early kickoff against Preston, difficult game against West Brom, and then you know you you run pretty quickly into Birmingham. I don't think it can realistically be unchanged all the way through. I think I was saying after the Coventry game, what what I wrote, you know, that was the sort of week where you did want to see the kind of depth of his squad paying off and players stepping up and making an impact and it didn't really happen um, I think it'll have to happen in this period Just looking at um, it being a, a defining sort of week to 10 days for Ipswich actually I was in third place we've got second place then we've got eighth place and then we've got fifth so it's a pretty defining run for Leeds as well isn't it this one looking at Preston and I, and I see them and you kind of I don't know, is it just uh, some sort of arrogance caused by the position in the table, the fact that they've lost quite a lot of games? They ship a lot of goals to Preston. So I looked at that and thought, I'm quietly optimistic about us going there and winning. And then it's followed by West Brom. And then I was like, oh, West Brom are higher than them in the table. It'd be, be more difficult. But we should have beaten West Brom earlier in the season as well. Yeah, I think so. I, I watched West Brom against Leicester. I was quite impressed by them. Coburn's done good things down there. They've always been a pretty good team under him. And again, I think they've got a, a really, really strong shot at making making the playoffs. So it's a combination of difficult opposition, but also just back-to-back schedule. And I did, looking at Leeds, at Sunderland in particular, was the first time that I started to think some of these players look like they've got quite a bit of football in their legs. And that's only going to get more intense and, and more evident, I think, as, as time goes on. But it's not as if they're the only club who are dealing with that. You know, everybody has kind of ludicrous schedule. I was reading Bernardo Silva earlier this week talking about you know the football scheduling and how players are getting more and more sick of the amount of football that they're they're having to play and sometimes it does feel like it's a bit excessive. Uh, just looking at Preston's form actually they're one win in five and yet still eighth in the table. Mind you they, they were the early pace setters weren't they so perhaps their position is artificially inflated compared to their recent form because they've come, they're on a minus 10 goal difference which is the highest lowest in the um, in the top half like we're, well, they, we're, they, we're on plus 15 and the only other top half team with a minus goal difference is Blackburn with minus four. They're a classic example Preston of how Sometimes things like um, XG and performance data can be quite accurate in showing what's likely to happen. As they were, as the season started and you had some clubs making good inroads at the top, Leicester and Ipswich, for example, people like Opta were analysing it and saying they're pretty much where they deserve to be. But Preston, using the data, were the one that jumped out as being 
the results being much better than the performances. And I think from an early stage, there was a, a suspicion that they would drop down to the sort of position that they're in now. So to, so to be in contention for, for the playoffs, but not necessarily, you know, setting the pace as they as they were. But they're, I think a little bit like Middlesbrough, they can be very good on their day, Preston. They're, they're a potentially good side and Leeds will have to play well over there. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Just talking about the rotation again. I mean, you've said in in recent weeks you expected Farker to make more use of his squad. He would obviously answer this question with an affirmative yes, but do you think he trusts his squad? You, you spoke, you've spoken I, there about him knowing yeah. his best 11, but do you think he actually trusts his wide I, squad? I think he does, but I think there's, I think the, the sort of greater weight of his trust is definitely in the lineup that he's picking. And that, to me, has become more and more apparent as the games have gone on because he is sticking with that lineup. I think at the start of the season and prior to Nonto agitating and causing problems, I assumed that Nonto would play a lot this year and, and would be, particularly because it was the championship, would be first-choice winger. Somerville, to my mind, has probably been the best player at Leeds at this point. I, it, it, I was doing a review of the year and was asked to pick player of the year, and I said, well, it's got to be from August onwards, hasn't it? Because last season it was basically Rodrigo and nobody else, and really... No, Rasmus it, Christensen maybe. Surprisingly or, not, no. no. And I don't think you would really be giving it to, to Rodrigo. So initially I was thinking, well, it's Ruter, isn't it? You know, he's he's been the kind of real bright spark and he's doing things that other people in the championship don't really do but actually I think in terms of overall impact Somerville just keeps doing it you know 10 goals already is really impressive particularly the position he plays plus the assists on on top of that so deservedly first choice which um, you know surprised me slightly given that I, I thought it would be Nonto who would certainly certainly be leading the way in that position and also Dan James you know has come come to the fore and I think that's one thing you have to say about Farka is that individually he's got a lot out of the players um, yeah. some players are playing much better than they were previously and granted it is a different level so so that will be will be helping but to answer the question I do get the sense that there is an 11 that Farka feels really safe with and really comfortable with and I don't think that's to say that he doesn't trust what's beneath it but I think last week probably made the point didn't it that there were options to change it there were ways in which he could have freshened it up the well, probably ways in which he, he should have done, but he's stuck with what, what he knows and what's been working because it has worked. You know, it, it has up until that week. I wonder if maybe the Stoke game damaged a bit of trust in the wider squad. It did for me. Yeah, and, and also the 
particularly because they were going away from home on the Tuesday night to Sunderland. You know, the idea that you go to Stoke and you throw in, particularly Gruev, I think, cold into the, the centre of midfield, which which just didn't work. He might have been bitten by that, might have been reluctant to to do the same again. But in Gruev, I mean, you, you are talking about a Bundesliga midfielder who was playing at that level last season, should be comfortably good enough for, for the championship, hasn't had much in the way of games. We, we did touch on this after the Coventry game. I'm starting to wonder more and more that as good as Ampadu and Kamara are in the centre of midfield, and that's a really strong, steady partnership, whether playing somebody like Gray there just gives you a bit more of a, I guess something a little bit closer to a 10 rather than, you know, a kind of deep line midfielder and whether because of that you'll get a little bit more goal threat and perhaps that's a good thing in games where, you know, you're, you're having to be patient and, and try and cut through deep line opposition. I do think from time to time there is an argument for getting Gray back into the midfield and that's not because Kamara isn't playing well and it's not because Ampadu hasn't played well for a, a lot of the season. I just think it creates a, a different combination with different attributes. It feels to me like at the moment left back is causing us a lot of issues because it doesn't allow the flex because ideally you go, you put someone else in there which allows Spence to move, which allows Gray to move, which allows just the whole team to reshuffle slightly but because we are stuck without any left backs. It's like one of those Spence has to play. Like though. one of those children's puzzles, you know, where there's just a single tile missing and you've got to kind of shuffle all the pieces yeah. around to try and move it and arrange it. And sometimes you look at it and go, oh, that's really obvious. And then other times you keep um, shuffling it around and it, and it just never works. The bigger problem here, I don't think, is the injury to Byron because Byron has been very, very good and, and would be first choice left back. It's the fact that behind him, there isn't really anything, is there? Furpo is there, but, you know, there's the. Between fitness and performances, there are just doubts about Furpo constantly. Spence, you can see in Spence, and every time I see him play and you see what he does with the ball, you can see how talented he is. But it's already one of those situations where you're thinking, he needs to be playing on the right, really, doesn't he? You know, to, to get the best out of him, he needs to be playing as as a right back. But it's, it's as um, Michael says, you don't want to then, let's say, put Archie Gray at left back because you're well, then, no, but not why, you're why him, would yeah, you? You can, yeah. You're then putting money on his wrong side yeah. um, in an unnatural position and it's just having the yeah, that's not going to affect. I, I mean, a few people have mentioned the fact that Gruev is a, an option there on the basis of what he's done previously in his career, but I don't know how on earth that would work. Maybe it would be, maybe it would be fine. Maybe it would be uh, too much of a... It feels like one of those experiments you'd, you'd soon regret. I don't well, know why. Or potentially. One of those experiments where if it went well, you'd say, oh, excellent. But if it went badly wrong, you would say, why did he why do is that? He, why is he there? <laughs> yeah. You know, that's really weird. And I think moving Gray over to the left-hand side doesn't solve the problem of... I, I know Byram started his career as a, as a right-back, but Byram has been operating as a left-back for a good while now, so properly understands the position and is, you know, to the naked eye, very, very good at it. You know, he's really, really... As good a left-back as Leeds have had there in such a long time... I mean, he will be back. But he's made out of candy, candy floss. That's the problem. Well, I, I don't think he is made out of candy floss. He's just not so durable that you're going to get 46 championship games out of you. From time to time, he's likely to pick up injuries because of what's gone before him. Mean, he's played a lot of football this season. It's not as if you've had two or three games out of him and we're saying, well, that was a waste of time. He's actually been one of the best players, I think, this season. But it's not particularly prudent to say he's going to be a left-back right the way through the season because the chances are he'll, he'll be missing... And if behind him, and Furpo is back in training um, and was before the, the Coventry game, but if behind him you've got somebody who A, isn't fit that often and B, isn't that impressive when he plays, then you've you've definitely got an issue and it's not a surprise that that's, that's one of the positions that we're expecting them to look at when the window opens. 
Speaking of the window, do you expect Jaden Anthony to see out the season? Because there's been a little bit of a rumble about him going back and maybe even Sinistera coming back the other way. From the Bournemouth end, nobody down there seems to think that Sinistera will be coming back. And I mean, you know from the conversation you had with Angus Kinnear that there's a lot of politics there and not a little bit of bad blood either caused by the, the way that all ended in the last week of the transfer window. As for Anthony's intentions, I don't honestly know with him and I might actually ask Farker about that today and see what he... Because he has not played much at all you know Spence Spence hasn't played much but Spence has been injured um, for a long time so how it could have been different with Spence is hard to hard to say but Anthony is very much on the fringes and does feel like the fourth choice out of four but it's not so different to Charlie Creswell I think where Farker's attitude is I need four wingers in the same way as I need four centre-backs but I can't play all the time and if players are in good form which James and Somerville in particular are then what do I do the message to Creswell and Gelhart is still that they will stay, but there will be interest out there. So I guess it remains to be seen whether that position holds if there, there is really, really strong, you know, if there are strong approaches for them that the players want to take. Because neither of them are getting much in the way of minutes. And in Creswell's case, not even really making the bench. Had a theory for the January window. Run, with, run with me on this, see if you agree. Sign a left back. No. Oh, could do. Yeah. yeah. What do you reckon? There aren't any. Right. We'd, have, we'd have signed one by now if there, we've, if already, was, we've already got two so if there was a left back we'd have well we've got a right back in Junior Furpo <laughs> <laughs> would, be my, would be my take on that with Furpo have you ever known a player be injured as much while not having a serious injury like it's not like he's done cruciate ligaments or broken his leg or anything he just is he just seems to be always out I don't think he's managed more than five or six games it's like, it's like a car that just is constantly breaking down. It you really take, is. Yeah, take it's it's like my 07 Fiesta, yeah. that beast that got to 195,000. Yeah, except Furpo's done this on about with about 20,000 on the <laughs> clock, it feels like. You, you had good value out of that car. You do. I mean, I can't say anybody springs to mind as me thinking, you know, just permanently crocked and, or little injuries over and over and over again. Nobody that jumps out more than other players who who, who have struggled with that. But he is injured a lot and it's... It, it still, it, it's boiling down to be a bit of a mystery generally, that transfer, isn't it? Like, it's it just hasn't worked. And he's got, I think he, he's got a year and a half to go on his contract. So because, you know, in those 18 months, it could suddenly click and it could suddenly happen. Then there's still always the, the prospect that you'll, you'll have a different and more positive view of that signing when, when, when he it, leaves, when it comes to the, the final point. But I don't think that's going to be the case, is it? I mean, it's... It's the mistakes in the game, the, particularly the defensive errors that seem to be repeated, which are so peculiar and so confusing. Because, I mean, he was one of... The, Bielsa never took players that he didn't like, you know, or didn't rate or didn't think he could do something with. And he clearly must have thought with Furpo that, that something could happen there. But in order to find your flow, you can't be absent as much as, as he has been. You have to get a decent run of games. And it's just it just has not happened, has it? And I, I think even now... Even though they're down in the championship, I don't really feel like that's particularly safe cover for Byron. No, no. Should we have this conversation again in six months? Yeah, yeah, why not? Great. Why not? Happy, happy summer, how everybody. Is, how is Stuart Dallas? Do we know? I, I saw, I'm, I'm pinning it all on him, basically. I know I know he's not yet featured in any game. I saw I saw Dallas a few weeks back. I mean, joking aside with Dallas, it's been really, really tough for him. It's been such a long stretch as well. And I think it is just a case of really, really serious injury that obviously fractured his femur damaged the knee as well and has taken him a long long time to, to recover from he's out of contract at the end of the season Ailing's out of contract at the end of the season Cooper as well I have to be honest I'll be a little bit surprised if any of them um, get offered fresh deals from from what I've heard 
Dallas, I think, is the sort of player you'd love to have. And, you know, a fit Dallas as he was yeah. on the base is the sort of player you'd love to have in the middle of this because he'd be massively useful. Just, I've just, when Michael gave our left back options, or was it whichever of the two of you it was, as Furpo or Sam Byram, who's always injured, bless him. And then your backup option is a guy who's had one of the worst leg injuries you could possibly imagine. So I'd just, just sign a left back. Well, with the, with the best will in the world, I don't think anybody's particularly looking at Dallas as a backup option at the no. moment because, you know, he's he's not played for kicking on towards two years now. And in any case, you know, he'd kind of remodelled himself as a centre mid I mean, and a pretty good one at that. He has been a utility player over the years and played in a lot of positions. But no, I, I'm I'm with you. I think a, a competent, capable left back would be, would be great. And there's part of you that thinks... It would be quite nice if Leif Davis was still here, really. Sigh. But Sigh. then you wouldn't have been saying this a year ago, would you? That's No. It's, it's just the way, it's it's just the way very, that the, co- the, cookie, with, the, the yeah. cookie has crumbled in that way that we went down, didn't we? Very easy with hindsight. It's similar to Jack Clark at Sunderland. You look at him now and think he's really trained on him, actually. And he's yeah. looking. I think he looks like one of the best players in the division. But when he went in the summer that he did when he went to Spurs I think we probably agreed with Leeds that it seemed like pretty good money and I think they, and, felt, they felt it as well didn't yeah they? Like and, and the club got promoted so in the grand scheme of planning it it worked you know and it, and it made sense and what has happened since is in no way connected to, to Jack Clark leaving it's just that now you say oh he'd be quite handy to have on the books a bit like Leif Davis speaking of relegation because this is the last show of the calendar year I was going to ask you have you got like a, a performance of the year or a game that you enjoyed most and I've gone back to last year's fixtures and we uh, in the Premier League half of the of the calendar year, we had three victories: Southampton one nil, uh, the two four um, victory at Wolves, and then two one at home to to Forest. Otherwise, your pickings are from this season. God, yeah, no. Well, it, I mean, similar to Player of the Year August onwards. Um, Leicester away, Leicester away. I think probably by a mile. Just that they've been, you know, they have been statistically results wise best team in the division. To go there on their own turf and turn them over really impressively, I thought. I know um, now friends on the Leicester podcast thought otherwise. However, uh, I still stand by the fact that I think Leeds were the better team on the night. That was a really, really, really good win. There have actually been lots of really good results under Farker. I think Leeds have been good to watch. I've enjoyed watching them. It's just the table, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, so we first victory of the season was at Ipswich. Then the, the victory at Millwall was pretty comprehensive, wasn't it? That looked like a class apart. Yeah, it's, that's worth a mention, actually, because Leeds just never win like that at Millwall, do they? That was a proper route in the end at a ground where I've seen Leeds fold so many times prior to driving home and getting detoured through Milton Mowbray or wherever, wherever it is. But no, that was that was absolutely terrific. I the think com- The comeback against Norwich was great fun as well. Yeah, I was, I'm just going to run through the, the wins because we also had the, the 3-0 against Watford, which I think there was a little bit of creeping frustration there, wasn't there? And then Pirro broke the duck. Yeah, sort of and, it, and, it just, that. and it, that and then, was like watershed, wasn't it? Yeah. This is what I mean, though. There've been lots of lots of really good games, um, really good results. I was going to say yeah, we beat QPR then at home, and it was Bristol City at home. The Norwich comeback was uh, was dramatic and fun, wasn't it? Yeah, from a, a fairly hairy position. Huddersfield, we could have had ten, I think, that game yeah. when we took our foot off their off their necks at half time at four. But that was a that was a proper no nerves from the very get-go and we've been discussing fullbacks who was it there right back that day he had it was a performance for the ages was that I felt he could watch that over <laughs> we, and over again we, we genuinely said after about 10 seconds it's only very mobile here and leads are very quick <laughs> this could be you know this 
could be that could have been actually the, the Huddersfield game just looking at the time of the goals the first one was James on 20 minutes and I wonder if that was did, was that some sort of genesis point for the, for the 20 minute text that you and I have been talking maybe, about for, maybe maybe well, only you've been talking about it no I don't think it was that I think he just, I, the thing is, he just uh, talks to me about it all the time it's just it's never on I camera just, or I just yeah. never actually do it yeah, no, um, I think I said to you earlier in the season you can kind of tell after 20 minutes where a game's going with this Leeds team and I think that's probably just about true it, it, going back to last season you really have to pick out the worst games, don't you, rather than the, the best games. The, the worst by miles was, and I include Crystal Palace in this, was Bournemouth away. You've got a handful of games to go. It's all on the line. You turn up and you play like that. And I remember just looking at them and thinking, cooked. I was going to say, there's a point at which it's, I don't know if it's kind of a, a nihilistic thing where you just want to tear it all down, where there's a certain amount of relief in such a bad performance. You know, by the end, you know, when the, the fans basically turned on the players. Yeah. But there's almost a point where you can go, oh, yeah, we are terrible and we are going down. Okay, I accept it now. Because there was still that, that creeping little bit of hope where you thought, if, mm. if they just, if they just, and then they do this, and then if they just do that. And actually, that was the game where you went, now this lot are done. Yeah, the, the players walked over to the away end and then just sort of stood there. They didn't applaud. They didn't they didn't know what to do because they were getting, they, they knew it had been dreadful. They were getting hopelessly abused um, as, as you'd kind of, you know, anticipating like, like being called when you were a kid, and, being called in from outside by your mum, knowing you were going to get told off, yeah, but, but and you know what, that you had to go in. Yeah. So what? What? What do you do? And then eventually, everybody walked off, and Gracia was borderline in tears after that, struggling to go in the dressing room, which was part of the reason why the club thought We've got to make a change here. And it was the only, it was the only throw of the dice that was left. I remember going on Five Live, I think, on the Monday, the following day, with Allardyce about to come in, and somebody asking me, you know, will Allardyce will Allardyce keep them up and I think I basically said no he won't he'll be lucky you know it's just it's gone too far this there aren't enough there aren't enough big players who who look like doing it there isn't enough of a plan or enough of a structure and I had really major doubts about whether what worked for Allardyce back in the day was going to work now and it absolutely didn't it's interesting what you said to the people at the club as well which was along the lines of you always need one or two world-class players in your squad that can drag you out of something in much the way that Phillips and Rafinha did. Yeah. Obviously, the two that we sold. So there were no star turns left in that squad. And so I don't think he was, you know, privately, he was surprised no. that, that Leeds failed. No, absolutely not. Um, and I don't think you can lay it on him at all. It was just a, you know, desperate, desperate measure. I still remember I went getting sent down to the Leicester-Everton game at the back end of last season um, to have a... Um, have a look at two other sides who are in relegation battle and speak to some of the supporters and, and write about it. And I was just packing up when I got a WhatsApp from somebody saying, it's going to be Allardyce. And and they were saying, I'm not so sure about the second part, but it looks it looks like Orta's going to be on his way as well. Which again, wasn't a surprise. Well, Allardyce was a surprise. The Orta thing wasn't. And particularly because of Allardyce, you just thought that is the last, he is the last coach in the entire universe that Orta would um, find himself going for. Realistically, because he's not ever met him at a barbecue. <laughs> it's gone from strength to strength, though, hasn't it, Victor? It is since going uh, well, it's since severe, leaving Leeds. Yes. That's ironic, that because I think you would bump into Sam Allardyce at a barbecue. Yeah, that's true, definitely that's true. Yeah, he goes to he'd go to one if he was invited. Oh, 100%. yeah, yeah, and, and even if it wasn't his barbecue, he'd, he'd end up offering to help out. The I reckon he throws an annual barbecue, don't you? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's better than Warnock's. Uh, I never went to Warnock's actually, but no. it'd be a barbecue without salad. No, I don't think so. Like, I don't won't, think no, so. he won't bother with anything like coleslaw or salad or anything. It'd be just pure meat. He might not want to bother, um, but he'd be told by other people that you've got guests coming and you have to do a proper spread. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think anybody's telling Allardyce what to do? Um, maybe his wife and his kids. Yeah. Yeah. Sammy Lee? Maybe. Yeah, mate, could be. Probably, could be. yeah. 
Yeah, um, Sammy just, Lee would be in barbecues as well, unless he was on jury service. Uh, just um, wrapping up the other wins that we've had this year. So we had that. Just look at, so I've, just, I've just got the last, the end of last season open. It's a joke, <laughs> isn't it? My God. <laughs> Do you know what? It's weird. I, I had, oddly enough, I can basically not remember any details. I remember Bamford missing against Newcastle. Leicester and then the penalty miss. And then just a general feeling of sadness. Yeah. I can't remember I can't remember the goals we conceded. Like Liverpool put six past us. I was at that game. I can't remember a single goal. No. Leicester Leicester was the one. I remember saying to you after that, because I was looking at the games that were coming up and I thought, I don't see them getting anything at Bournemouth. It's exactly the sort of place where this team will go and fold. And then after that, the run of games did not look good. And I remember saying to you after the Leicester game, I really, really feel like the damage is is done and I did that train spotting piece after the Leicester game which was basically because I came away thinking this is this is fucked th- th- yeah yeah <laughs> this is not happening is it you know there's there's no way out of this I think Bournemouth away as well that was when Mark Rocker managed to hit four consecutive corners into to, to the near post as well. Wow. Yeah, was, at that point, you're just thinking, lower me down. Whatever. Everyone was just like, please, just just draw just, a line. Yeah. Please. It's funny, it. At what stage are you allowed to laugh about this? Because obviously Bamford was on, and Bamford was one of the players, so you know there's distinction to make there. But he was on this podcast he's doing with the BBC a little while back where he's talking about Allardyce saying to him, your performance, I think it was, was it Manchester City? Saying to him, don't ever play like that for me again and having a bit of a joke about him. People are a bit unhappy about that because, you know, Got relegated and everything else. You're not, um, not allowed to laugh. You've got to be very serious well, this, about it. This is it. But is it reached? Are we at funny stage yet? With I think we'll we'll be able to laugh at that if and when we get back up. Yeah, but I was going to actually say in relation to sort of that general feeling and the reason why people take against laughing at the relegation, which let's face it, it was quite funny in the end. Wasn't we're it? allowed to do yeah. it yeah. because we weren't involved yeah. in any respect other than we had to stand and watch it happen. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, we do. I mean, as fans, we indulge in like gallows humour. Yeah, it, it is. Co- quite funny the way that we just follow the absolute blueprint for a club that just spiraling into I think not, so yeah not chaos but just a, like you know signing, signing its own death warrant change, I think, I think it, was, it was an absolutely textbook relegation last season yeah in every respect loads of different coaches players underperforming or just not good enough and and also realising from quite a distance out that they were they were in trouble they were never from August onwards they were never really stable leads were they the, the results were never really there I mean I was reading Marsh's interview with the Daily Mail earlier this week where he was saying you know Radrazani lost his nerve and we were going in the right direction and basically it was just about was to that di- was that direction straight you know, towards goal well it didn't at the time all you can say is particularly coming out of that Forest game it did not feel like it was about to about to click who knows whether if they just stuck with it Leeds would have got another couple of results would have scraped you know scraped out of it whatever else but in that at that point early February it just did not feel like that was going to happen I think Radrazani lost his nerve 20th of October 2022 when we lost 2-0 at Leicester I think that may have been an appropriate time to go do you know what this thing this thing we've tried to do Victor it's not working if we're going to get Allardyce in in a panic to stay up let's just do it in October <laughs> and, forget, and forget about any pretense we have of, of signing Cody Gakpo and building this thing of young players some grizzled bastards in and stay up. But by the same token, I'm not prepared to accept that Allardyce coming in in October or November would have kept Leeds up either. No. It's easy to, to promise these things and to say these things when you don't have to deliver in Which the same was, way. But the point he was making about the squad as well. Like, yeah, yeah. They just did not no, have the people I, in there to, absolutely. to do the job. I suppose the one thing is they might have looked differently at January. You know, might have thought differently about what they really needed or who they should they should bring in. But I think in the same way as Marsh saying, you know, we were going in the right, right direction and it was about to turn the corner, it just didn't, prior to me being sacked, Is it would be the same as Allardyce saying, if I'd been here since October or November, it would have been fine. Because I have to say, the four games 
in which he was in charge did not make me think oh, if only this had started earlier. Do you think Marsh <laughs> properly <laughs> believes what he's saying? Or is he is it PR to try and get himself another job? Because he would very, very much be in the minority for in holding that opinion. Yeah, he, strikes, so. he strikes me as a capable bullshit. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. As I say, I, I don't look back on that at all and think that was a mistake. I, I'm very much in the camp, like Michael said, who thinks should have happened before the World Cup break or that there was the opportunity to do it. And when Keneal came on your show, he said himself, you know, that was an, that was an error. It was a, a strategic error on the part of the club not to do it at that point. And he seemed to be implying that the win at Liverpool and the win at Bournemouth dissuaded them from doing what they should have done, um, which was to, to change there and then. But equally... Gracia in the end didn't work. Although, you know, he did have a point. There was a point after the Forest game where it seemed like they were just about there. You know, it was kind of one or two results. And well, actually, we said it felt like Leeds had become sensible again, like they were just sensible, doing, doing uh, obvious yeah. things, which is actually mirrored in what we've done this season. And then, which is the point I was going to make before, actually, before we got, we got sidetracked again about how this little Sunderland and Coventry game has just caused people to wobble and felt like the sense yeah. of control is just less. It's not gone, it's just lessened that little bit. But I think you always get periods like this in any season. And I know it won't look or feel like that with Leicester or Ipswich, but I still say, you know, it is a bit of a freak what's going on with them. Although I can't knock either of them, you know, they're, they're holding it together and they just keep keep on going. But yeah, at that, given that it didn't, the Skubali experiment didn't work, Gracia in the end didn't work, Allardyce didn't work, I think it would again be presumptuous to say had Leeds changed things in, you know, at the end of October, early November, it would definitely have kept them up. But I think it would have been a justified switch. I don't necessarily think that the relegation would be a bad thing, assuming we can, if we can get up this season, or even if it's next season. I just don't want to like lose more players. But I don't know. As I get older and more cynical, I, I wonder if uh, if there's any point getting attached to players anymore, particularly the state of the modern I, game. But I was um, I was thinking this the other day. Actually, I think the crowd like a lot of the players who are in the team at the moment, and you would, you know, because a lot of them have been very impressive, and and I think. I think Leeds have been a really good team. But I was sort of wondering the other day whether there is much specific attachment to individuals. I think there definitely is to Archie Gray. Ruter as well. As, as, yeah. As, and, because, and, because of his difficult start and the fact that he seems to be some, having so much fun. And, I, and yeah. I keep saying on these shows, I have fun watching him. And that's all I can ask for when it comes to football. Really. And there's definitely a bit of that generating with Somerville as well. See, the thing I, the thing I really like about Somerville is that he's... He's a cocky little so-and-so, isn't he? He's really, really confident. And I've written, at some point over Christmas, we'll we'll run a piece on his finishing. I tell you what, the chances he's taken, some of them have been really difficult. You know, it's not as if he's banging them in from two yards out and, you know, just poaching and kind of glory hunting at the end of of great moves. It's a right range of of shots. I, I think if you were picking player of the year now for this season, you'd be picking Somerville, I feel. And I have to say, in the Championship, I think there would be very few stronger shouts than his either. He's been so impressive and so so good. And I start to look at him and think, if he carries on developing like this, he could be he could be pretty special, him. Yeah, just talking about Mickey Scoops, by the way. He lost his first game in charge of uh, Lincoln City to Stevenage 1-0, but unbeaten since. Steve Evans. You know, sorry? Steve Evans at Stevenage yes. still. Yeah, clash of the former Foster the bigger man. Leeds managers. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, they've a couple of wins, three draws, but they face Derby. I mean, it's tonight as we record it, so it will be last night as this this one comes out. It'll be interesting to see how they get on there. Um, he's um, he's well thought of as Scubala, and you know when when he was caretaker, and okay, there was that desperate day at at Everton, but he was very much in the middle of a club that just didn't really have much direction and needed needed concerted decisions to be made above him. The build up to the Old Trafford game was interesting because it was 
supposedly a team of three, you know, of which um, the mighty Chris Armas was was part of it as well. And Scubala basically said at the outset, I'm in charge of this. You know, I'll make the decisions. You guys are going to help. Galada was there as well, but but Armas, Armas had obviously had prior head coach positions. Um, so you thought that Armas might actually lead it, but Scubala basically said, I'll be leading this. You know, I, I'll, I'll be the one who's who's in charge of what, what we're doing. And weren't far off getting a really, really good result away at Old Trafford. But again, I, I don't know. I, I look back at that and I think to myself, in those circumstances, when you're under pressure, do you get away really with trying to do the caretaker model in the Premier League? And there was a bigger picture to it because they went after Areola and they didn't get Areola. He's starting to to do some pretty good things down at, down at Bournemouth. But again, it, it felt as if they were caught without a definitive plan that was A, going to fall into place and B, work at the, the stage where they really needed it. And you compare it to now and you see the amount of structure that's been put in place at the club, yeah. you know, behind the scenes. It feels like a far more robust operation now than it was back then. But that does bring us all the way back around to where we started. Chris Armas. Chris Armas. Chris Armas. Mm-hmm. It wasn't far off the 12 days of Chris Armas. Yeah. yeah. yeah like it genuinely was. Um, well, enjoy yours and Thank let's you. hope we can enjoy the festive break from a football perspective because I'd quite like to just have this, this week off and go, oh, I'm having a nice time here because Leeds have won <laughs> and Le- Leeds have kept, kept in touch with football. They haven't ruined my mood in much of the way that they've, they've maybe wobble when it's come to comes to the, the Sunderland result and the commentary result. But, you know, that's all you can do is just cross your fingers and hope for the best, isn't it? I think so. I think so. But they do, they are going to need a lot of points out of this run. Um, big plans for Christmas then? Going anywhere or just watching the football? No, I'm away up to Edinburgh the first week of January, but um, I'll pretty much be working all the way through, the exception of Christmas Day, because there's a lot of games. Yes, indeed. And we'll be back for the um, the match balls. We'll be post each game, so 26th, 29th, 1st. Plenty going on. And we'll be back with all the usual uh, lineup of shows in the new year. After the Birmingham game, yeah? Indeed. I'm just looking from Christmas last year, it was the... We had to wait until the 25th of February for a win. Yeah, a lot, a lot <laughs> so hopefully it won't be as bad as a that. A little bit of a short spell. It felt like, it felt like that as if, well, didn't it? From Christmas this this year, if we could wait less than 24 hours for our next win. Mm, I do. That, that, yes, perfect. That'd yeah, be ideal. Let's do that. Yeah. Enjoy. Merry Christmas if you celebrate and we'll see you on the other side. Take care. The Square Ball Podcast. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 